All right, this is, uh, this is 2 Timothy 4. And remember, uh, um, in the epistles of Timothy, the first epistle of Timothy, again, was, was teaching individuals that are parts, part of a local assembly uh, how to function in order. It's teaching God's tremendous how to function in the order. Not necessarily teaching the order, although it does that, but teaching how to function in order. And then 2 Timothy, I mean, you see the space between how quickly it was even in, 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 in Paul's day. The second epistle teaches how to function in the midst of disorder, even in the church, unfortunately. And the disorder is the world system entering into the church, the order of Christ. And this is where we all, all of us need to be careful, and that's why we need to be so, for every one of us, to be so precisely taught the word of God so that we don't mix our thoughts because any thoughts that aren't Christ, they just come from the world system. And we may think they're, we may think they're our own, but truthfully, they're not. It's just like in any type of warfare, especially spiritual warfare. If we look at spiritual warfare for the church in Ephesians 6, uh, 10 to 18, when we look at that, the enemy can do more, more, more covertly in secret than, they, than he can do overtly in any type of warfare. So the preparation for the overt taking over in terms of thinking or military might in countries is, is based upon what was done covertly. We can see that now even, even in our country. So, but this is, this is the second epistle of Timothy, uh, of, uh, Timothy that Paul was, uh, was writing. And again, he, at this particular time, he had an amanuensis, someone to write them for him. He, he didn't in, the, in, in Galatians. And that's why when you see in, in, in Galatians, the fourth chapter, where he said, you see how a large letter I've even written because he had ophthalmalia, he had very bad eye problems, and he wrote them in really big letters. <laughs> and that's literally when he, he, he wrote uh, Galatians. And plus also, if you look at the first chapter, it was very, very personal uh, with him too. But in 2 Timothy, we see how quickly he's, he's, he's speaking here. So we'll read in 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says this, he says, I charge you, therefore, before God. In other words, his charge, what he was exhorting this young pastor Timothy was from God through him, as in this sense, God's amanuensis, his vessel. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. He's telling him. See, he's in a prison. Timothy's not, and he's telling him. But he's doing a lot of preaching and teaching, even in that Roman, Roman dungeon, in that Roman prison. And so, but he's teaching Timothy, who's still free, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove. How many love that? To be reproved. Child training, reprove. Don't do that. <laughs> reprove, rebuke. Now, this is always done in love. In Ephesians 4, in verse 15, we grow up. People grow up in Christ when you speak the truth in love. And, and so, rebuke and exhort. That means edify with all long suffering and doctrine. And that goes into those two uh, Greek words of macrothumia and hupomone. 
Listen to what it says. For the time will come. Boy, the time is here. The time is here. There is no question about it. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. It's not a priority. It's just not. It's not a priority. The Word of God is not a priority. It just isn't. But after, what replaces it now when we don't go after and we don't hunger for the Word of God? What replaces it? Their own lusts. They will heap to themselves. And they will look for teachers to fill those lust patterns and make it okay. Boy, in our country today, the gay and lesbian lifestyle, fully accepted. Transgender, fully accepted. In so-called churches, of which they are not. Because if that's allowed, you know in Matthew 18, 20, it says where two or three are gathered together in his name. That means his person and the work that he's accomplished about all those things. There he is in the midst. And that reveals that just because Christians get together, they, they may be born again. And they allow other things that the scriptures, Christ himself, God himself, never allows in terms of fellowship. Just because they call it a local assembly, he does not see it that way. It's brought out crystal clear in the scriptures. But they will heap to their lust, teachers having itching ears, go from one thing to the next. And they will turn away their ears. They don't want to hear it. This is resistance. This is, in this sense, they think that they can, any of us, when we live in the flesh or are unsaved, multitudes. But in 1 Samuel 15, 22, what does God require? He doesn't require sacrifice. You think of how much is out there in the world system today of sacrificing. But that just has to do with the flesh. It just has to do with self. But he requires obedience in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Because outside of obedience, listen, this is how we know. And remember, we all know that we love God. Do we? No. We know that God loves us, don't we, in measure? We all do. But how do we know that we actually love him? Well, 1 John 5, 1 to 3 makes it clear. It's called obedience. His love is returned because it's his love in 1 John 4, 10 that begets our love back to him in 1 John 4, 19. And part of that love is Psalm 97 and verse 10. All you that love God, you hate evil. That's right. How do I know I love God? Well, because I hate evil. Hate it. And those things that were just mentioned are evil. We can see them clearly in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. The anger and wrath of God is being poured out against all what? Who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Not that they don't know. It's that they refuse it. So outside of obedience in 1 Samuel 15, 22, and 23, there's only rebellion. And how does God classify rebellion? Listen, even in his children, those that are his, how does he class, what's the word he classifies as rebellion? It's witchcraft. Now, Christians, they wouldn't think of doing that, would they? And then stubbornness, that's a lot, you know, you hear this bragged about, oh, that's just this particular ethnicity in me. 
That's what makes me so stubborn. <laughs> Stubbornness is as idolatry. In other words, and an idol is anything that's allowed in the believer's life that's in competition with who Christ is in them and who they are in Christ. That's 1 John 5, 20 and 21. Now, this is towards the end here. They will heap to themselves and they will turn their ears away in 1 Timothy 4, 4. And they, they will be turned unto fables. All kinds of fables and all kinds of philosophies. And even the word philosophy, oh my gosh, what it even means. Love of the truth. Yeah, but how do we determine that? And then when you mix philosophy with the word of God, whew, not very good. Isaiah 1 and verse 22 makes that crystal clear. Makes that crystal clear. You can't, you, you, you don't mix that with the pure redemptive uh, silver of God's word, it becomes tarnished. Having itching ears, they'll turn their ears away unto fables. But you, this is us. He's telling the pastor this, young pastor, because you have this, all of this, potentially in your flesh. This is potential, just like potential in our experience, who we are in Christ in intimacy. Oh boy, I tell you. But, and but there, when we see but there, is a contrast and conjunction. Here's the contrast, this, but, but, and, there, and there's the, the, uh, the uh, conjunction separates, separates, right? So preaching and teaching separates a, a, a wrong experience which is not based upon a true position, Christ in us and who we are in him. But watch, Watch, and that goes into understanding intimacy, who we are in Christ personally, and then prophecy. But watch, watch. Look away. I wish Christians could understand this. You got all these heavy burdens? Yeah. Lay aside the weight. Lay aside the weight, Hebrews 12.1. And a lot of times the enemy will use the weight as an excuse why we can't obey. <laughs> right? He will. Remember in John 15 and verse 22, Christ came and he did away with all cloaks. Cloak there in John 15, 22 is excuses. He's done away with every single excuse. And remember, if we do, in, in, in John 15, 23, if I live in an excuse, and so a lot of times it's known disobedience, most of the time it's known disobedience, and it's sin in, in James 4 and verse 17. But if I live in an excuse, then the Holy Spirit has is, is revealed what the excuse is. It's hatred for God and his son. And is there hatred in our flesh? That we're not, the flesh is in us, but are we of it? No. But Romans 8, 7 makes it clear there's a lot of hatred there. Nothing but unsettled, refusal of thought and emotions never to change and absolute hatred toward God. But watch you in what? In all things. In all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Meaning we can all, we all can tell people about Christ. We all can. All of us can. When we have opportunity, okay? Not like some of the way that maybe some of, the, some of us had learned in a legalistic way. Make full proof of your ministries. Talking to a pastor here now. 
right? For now, he says this in 4.6, he says, for now I am ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Now to understand this in isagogics, back in its historical frame of reference, what he's saying is he knows Nero's axe is coming down and going to chop off his head and his life is going to be poured out as a drink offering to God. He knows his departure is at hand. So he's giving this young pastor who was like a spiritual son to him unbelievable warning and admonition personally. Now he says in verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. All those teachings that were, you know, as best as he could at that time. Henceforth, he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, meaning the judge of the, the one who will rule and reign over those that are in Christ, will give me at that day, and listen, not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing, meaning while we're on the earth, everything about our life is waiting for his appearing, and that's brought out in Titus 2, 11 to 14. Everything about our life is him vertically. Yes, we're on this earth horizontally, but that doesn't govern us. It's him. It's him. 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 In the night of his absence, we look for his appearing. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse 13 and 14, we look for that. We look for his coming. We, we anticipate it. Everything. We just can't wait for him. to all of us. <clears throat> now he says, do your diligence to come shortly unto me for Demas. And Demas here was an absolute disciple of Paul. But we see in Colossians 4 and verse 14, that's true. At that particular time, he was, an, he was a disciple. Just like Jesus had many disciples. But as soon as, listen, as soon as he taught the cross, and that's what he, Jesus was teaching in John the sixth chapter. He was teaching the cross. And then it says in John 6, 66, follow the preceding verses. Many of his disciples walked no more with him. And if I don't walk forward with him right now, where do I walk? Right back into the world system. Many of those taught disciples, that's what they did. They went right back into the world system. It's very interesting. It's John 6, 66. <laughs> Six, six, six. If you want to know anything about that number, you can, you can study that in Revelation, the 13th chapter. Very interesting. Dem for Demas has forsaken me. Look what it says. Having loved this present world. Having loved this present world. Isn't that interesting? And where are all those idols? <laughs> where is all the idols found? And who's the God of this world? In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. Who keeps multitudes of Christians that weren't lost but now become lost in their experience? The God of this world. If our gospel be hid, in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, it's hid to them that are lost. He's forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessaloniki, Cretans, Cretans to Dalmatia, these are guys that didn't forsake him, and Titus unto Dalmatia. Listen to what it says, and this is beautiful. Watch what it says. Only Luke, and remember who Luke is, right? He was this traveling phys physician. 
He constantly ministered to him. He constantly ministered to Paul in terms of his doctor and in terms of, of supporting him financially. That was Luke. And he had women that did that, and plus he had other churches supporting him all through the scriptures. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. If you want to learn about Mark and what, who Mark is here, Mark is that one who wrote the, God used to write the gospel of Mark. And the only reason that, that Mark could write the gospel was Peter gave him all that information. The apostle Peter gave Mark all of that information of which to write. And Luke was, was Paul's traveling companion, and we can see in Acts chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, that it was, it was God used Luke to record the book of Acts. And where did he get all that information from? We got that from the Apostle Paul. So we can understand the scriptures here and have a clearer understanding. So only Luke is with me and take Mark. Mark, he was called John Mark. He went with them with Barnabas, and, and, and John Mark was the nephew of Barnabas. And Barnabas and Paul went out, and, and God used Barnabas to help Paul and bring him into the church so, because they feared him, because he was, the, in, in Acts the 8th chapter and the ninth chapter, he was the church's worst enemy until he met Christ in Acts 9, verse 6. So Paul and Barnabas were sent out on this missionary on these, this missionary journey in Acts the 13th chapter, and they took, they took the nephew, John Mark, with, with them, who was, and, and, and Barnabas was his uncle. He took him. But then he departed. He left them. He left them in Acts the 15th chapter. And then Barnabas wanted to take him again with him, and Paul said no. And when you get to the end of the chapter in, in Acts, the 15th chapter, you, you will see that the, the, the contention between them was so sharp that they separated. They separated. Paul took him and went, and then and, and, and Barnabas took him, his nephew, John Mark, with him, and then Paul took another and left. But from that point on, you never hear the word you never hear Barnabas ever mentioned again. <laughs> it's very interesting how natural family, natural family can get us away from God and get us away from obedience. It's very, very interesting how the enemy can use natural family, born again still, but use them to get us away from obeying God. That's what happened in their case. But that's the guy here, Mark. So take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. So then, after God dealt with him, and he was able to deal with the nephew and get him to a place where God can, could again use him, he, he directed Paul to bring him back into fellowship and being used. There's where we are in the scriptures. And Tychicus, and he was an Emmanuel of Paul. He wrote a lot of his letters. Paul dictated to them and, and then to him, and he wrote them down. Have I sent to Ephesus the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus when you come with you, uh, bring with you in the, in the books, especially the parchments? Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Is he mentioning people by name here? Are you supposed to mention people by name? 
to teach without condemning and accusing. He's born, <laughs> was Demas born again? Was he a disciple? Was he? Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. When we reward God's, God's good with evil, even with those he used, evil will not depart from their house. That's Psalm 109, 4 and 5 and, and Proverbs 17 and verse 14. Of whom, listen, of whom you beware. Beware of this person. Mark them in, in Romans 16, 17 and avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. They're backslidden. They may be born again, but they're backslidden. Until they get right, what do you do? For whom you beware also, for he has greatly withstood our words, the preaching and teaching of the word. At my first answer, this is what I want to get to, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Now, at some point in our life, we're going to feel that way, aren't we? That we're all alone, right? And that's what, this is really what I want to bring out this morning. Because at times we can feel, and I began to feel that way, I began to feel that way. But God instantly ministered to me. I don't know how he did it, but there, there were these things all over the house and things. <laughs> and God was doing that, was just, was just loving me. And I was like, wow, okay. And then, then being, loving me through, through a precious vessel, seriously, loving me, I was able to sit and say, okay, wow. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all forsook me. Did you ever feel that way alone with God and forsaken at times? But all forsook me. Then he says, I pray to God that it may not be laid to their charge. Now he's quoting, and he's one with Stephen in Acts 7, verse 60. All forsook him. We all feel that way at times, don't we? And I, it, sometimes we do. And I was kind of feeling that way a little bit. You know, not that you do things for people to say, oh, you're awesome and thank you. You don't do it for that reason because that that's the wrong reason. But when it comes back to you, boy, I'll tell you. Or when you hear someone else, you know, praising, and we all feel this way. You hear someone else praising this other person, how sweet and awesome they are and praying for them. And then, you know, they'll say a prayer for you and it's like, you know, and you just feel like, wow. Whew. And, 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 and you can feel alone, whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying, you can, we can all feel that way. We can all feel that way. But he says this in verse 17. This is what God wants to make it clear. Notwithstanding, in the face of all that, guess what? The Lord stood with me. How many times we've been alone and we thought everyone forsook us and the Lord came in and boy, was he enough? Is the word enough? Boy, it is for me every single morning. His counsel... For the, this is just me. I'm just saying, and I know we're all in capacity, different capacities, and I know we're all growing, but I don't know how people do it without the word every morning. I, I just don't know how. Get up first things, and it's all these other things and not the word. Seriously, Proverbs 8, 17, uh, Psalm 62 and Psalm 63, and all those, and, and, and the types in Exodus 16, it's early. It's always early. It's always early. We, we, to face the day physically, we need to take in our food early to prepare us to have energy through the day. Spiritually, it's the same. 
Because by the time, if we don't take it in during the day, by the time we get involved with all our other things, are we even going to have the energy to receive it or be able for it? No. No. Not at all. But he said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. And look what he says. He strengthened me. And what's that? That's what he gives, sends us these supplies of grace in Psalm 68, 28. And in John 1 and verse 16, he gives us grace and it's anti, the Greek word. He heaps up grace upon grace for us. I mean, he comes right in with us individually and heaps his love upon us, which flows through grace. We become so occupied with him. And when we do, that's when we start thinking of others, right? We lose ourselves in his presence in Psalm 16, 11. But first in Psalm 16, 8, we have, to set our, we have to set him before our face. And this is Hebrews 12, 1. Lay aside every weight because you can't handle them. You can't bear them. None of us can. Because if you don't, it'll lead to the sin and trip you right up. And that's why we have to, in Hebrews 12, 2, look away from all that would distract unto Jesus. We look unto him, and then we can see him. We can see him, this great high priest in Hebrews 4, 14, and understand in verse 15 that, that uh, it's not when we see him, it's not like he didn't go through all these things that we're going through. He went through them and then some. And he actually bore us and bore all of those things in Hebrews 4, 15. That's why in 16, we can come quickly to the, to the throne of, uh, of grace to find mercy right in the nick of time so that we don't get so overwhelmed. <laughs> he just comes right in. And this is what it's teaching us here. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me, and he graced me out, that by me, getting myself out of the way and handled through grace, now it's the preaching might be fully known, fully known Christ. As I fully know him inwardly, I can full, then God can fully make him known through, through me to others. And that all, not just the Gentiles, but all might hear. And then this, he says this. And this is what God did with me this morning. And this is what he does with us a lot of times. I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. That's what he said. Remember in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety, all those cares and those things that come in with a crushing force, cast them on him. That's Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous, those that are in Christ, to be moved. Because underneath in Deuteronomy 33, 27 are the eternal arms and he will never allow those that are his to hit the bottom because he's underneath the bottom of our bottom. That's Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. But he said, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. That's what he said. Because cast all your care upon him, your anxious care. Because God does care for you. He wants you to know that when you think you're all by yourself, no one understands you. <laughs> he does. Because if you don't do that, we have an adversary in 1 Peter 5, 8. He is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may rip to shreds through thoughts and swallow down whole through the details of life. Instead of the word, it's the details of life. Deuteronomy 8.3, Matthew 4.4, 4, Luke 4.4. 4. Job said in Job 23 and verse 12, I have esteemed the word more than my necessary food. He has to bring us to that place. 
If I get so full of details, am I going to have room for, for hunger, if I'm full of that and satisfied, for him? And the answer is no. So God has to humble us. He has to take away, like he did with Job, just so he can bring in a double blessing. But his eyes have to be turned away. In Job 42 and verse 5, he said, Oh my God, my eyes are open now. And how many times he has to do that with us. But he said, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And then I'll close with this. And I'll just read in the types. And this is why we can constantly go back to the scriptures and glean from them. Do you remember, as long as Samson, and he was one of the judges, there was a period of time in Israel where they didn't have a king, they didn't have any, any godly men, so God raised up judges at the time. Samson was one of them. And as long as he obeyed God, and as long as he had a prayer life, which was, which was what his, prayer, his hair was, was a type of, he had a prayer life. Remember when they cut his hair, he didn't have any strength. As long as he had a, a prayer life of dependence, God was able to use his strength. Did he use his strength for himself? In one particular instance, he did. But he did it for others, didn't he? To protect them. And that's what love always does. And grace is, is, is God's way of giving us things we don't deserve. And that's his love flowing through it. But here we see, and I won't read the whole chapter, but it just in, in the 14th chapter of Judges, we see this in verse 5. It says, Then when Samson went down and his father and his mother uh, to Timnath, came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. How many times the enemy roars against us with thoughts to rip us to shreds and to slaughter us whole and to make us, you're all alone. No one understands you. They don't know what you're going through. They reject you. And then the Lord comes in and gets our mind off of ourselves and gets it on Christ. And then he lifts us up in his presence, and then immediately we start thinking of others because humility, and that's why he has to humble us in James 4, 6, and in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, it's why he has to humble us because humility is not thinking too highly of ourselves, that's the flesh, or we're not thinking too lowly of ourselves, that's the flesh, and both are pride. But we're not thinking of ourselves at all, and that's what it teaches us. So he went down, and a young lion was roaring, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And that's what he was doing with Paul in prison. The enemy coming against him, roaring with thoughts and lying voices in John 8, 44, and in 1 Corinthians 14, 6 to 11. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. What's that mean? God resists the proud who think too highly of themselves or they think too lowly of themselves. But he gives much more supply, a greater supply of grace to those that he's humbled. Then you submit yourself to God. Then you resist the devil. He's like nothing. Why? Because he has to face Christ in you. And that's James 4, 7. Then we can come to him with dirty hands. We need our hands cleansed. And we're double-minded. We mix our thoughts with his. And then he can cleanse us. And then we mourn in, in James 4, verse 9. But the mourning is 2 Corinthians 7, 10. We have joy. There's sorrow and joy, but never with regret. So he came upon him and rent him like he was a little lamb, a baby. And he had nothing in his hand 
See, this was all the strength of God in him. God didn't use a weapon. Sometimes, you know, to battle our battles, we want to take up weapons. When the battle in Exodus 14, 14 and 1 Samuel uh, 17, 47, it scores as the battle's the Lord's. Right? He had nothing in his hand, but he didn't tell his father or his mother and went into the riddle. Right? But here's what he said, and this is what God is teaching us, and that's what he was teaching John when he was in prison. That's what he, te- he wants us to learn when we're all alone with him. And remember, it's necessary for us to get alone with God. There's a necessity to learn the nature, character, and essence of God. There's a necessity to learn the essence of God for us individually. And it's good to be alone. We never have to be lonely because loneliness is based upon lies. Never. He never leaves us nor forsakes us in Hebrews 13, 5. Never. But it's good to be alone with him because we learn two things. What we're like without him, too lowly of ourselves. <laughs> and then what we are in him, but we can, we can leave him and think way too highly of ourselves. But that's what it is. He brings in a beautiful balance. He brings in a beautiful balance because uh, a false balance in, in Proverbs 11.1 1 is an abomination, but a just weight is his delight, meaning we're occupied with him. We live in a very balanced life. Yes, we're on the earth, horizontal, but everything about us is vertical. Interesting how that shapes the cross, isn't it? Then in verse 14, and he said unto them, he was giving this riddle, and he said unto them, out of the eater came forth meat. What's that? Who was the eater? It was the lion. He wants to eat us up. But that can be the opportunity where God, it says this, came forth meat. God can come right in and bless us, right in the midst of what the enemy's doing and tries to come against us as a roaring lion. Then it says, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And what the enemy means for evil, when he comes against us, God means for good. In Genesis 50 and verse 20, that's what Paul was saying. He delivered me out of the mouth, the speaking word, the mouth of the lion in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 17. That's where he needs to get us alone, to build us up in Jude 20 and 21 upon our most holy faith, keeping ourselves, guarding ourselves in the love of God. In the, in the love of God, and then using us now, because we're not thinking too highly of ourselves, we're not thinking too lowly of ourselves, to use others in terms of what we read in 2 Timothy 4, 5, do the work of an evangelist, and in Jude 24, use us to, to snatch others out of, literally, they're so close to going to hell, and use us to snatch it up. That's what he was saying here. And he loves us, and he wants to build us up and, and bring in the sweetness of his son. The sweetness, how sweet. Remember that sacrifices in Leviticus, all those sacrifices, they went up as a sweet incense. You know, that's literally who we are. Based upon his son, but who we are with him. He wants to build us up in the sweetness of the, the most intimate love for us. And Father, we thank you and praise you for your precious sweet counsel to us. We never have to be alone. We're never alone without you. Never, 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 God. Father, thank you so much for our precious Savior, for the precious Holy Spirit, having a precious Father, and for the precious Word of God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.